welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. All right, if you would, please turn your Bible to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I'm going to begin uh, today, this time, uh, this Sunday, by reading the passage in verse 7. Remarkably similar to what we read during our scripture reading. Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to Jesus, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of that house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished room, upper room, prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as Jesus had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Boy, you might have mentioned in this short passage that that word prepared used four times in just these few verses. So I've titled today's message, A Day for Preparation. Just came to me. Just came out of the middle of nowhere. A Day for Preparation. And so all of this has to do with preparation for the Passover meal and the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread that that was both to coincide on the first day and then six days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread to follow. Uh, We would probably expect, looking at the law, that this this timeline, this chronological timeline, the festival timeline that we see would present itself as, in our passage, is just very, very clear cut. But it is not. It is not. There is very much disagreement over this passage. This day that we're looking at, this day, Thursday, is the day. And it is the day before Christ offers His body, His sinless body, as an unblemished sacrifice for sin as the Passover lamb. And God will punish his beloved, his only beloved son tomorrow, Friday, for all of the sins for those who will put their place, uh, place their trust in him. Tomorrow is the day he is crucified. So the Hebrew Passover is not until tomorrow, until Friday. So how did Jesus and his disciples commemorate the Passover feast this Thursday Night. You know, an, an explanation to all of this is not as quick and easily found as we might initially expect. Complicating our research are the other records written in Matthew, Mark, and John, which seem to contradict Luke in portraying Friday as the day of preparation. Here it appears 
Thursday is referred to as the day of preparation. And one reason that we need to strive to reconcile these accounts is just to defend that harmony of Scripture. Critics of the Bible will declare, Aha! A a contradiction! The Bible contradicts itself. And perceived incongruities, inconsistencies in Scripture, they have the potential to shake the confidence of new Christians. Some people just become very shaken. What do you mean it's not all, all as it just appears? Those who are new in the faith struggle with things like this. There is more. There is more. The Gospel of John states Jesus was sacrificed precisely at the time the Paschal Lamb was being sacrificed at the temple on Friday. But Mark 14.12 appears to imply that it was on this Thursday, quote, on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover Lamb was being sacrificed. Then Jesus' uh, disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Clearly again, Thursday. Thursday. And then, of course, we also heard during our scripture reading from Exodus that the law required, the law demanded on this first day of unleavened bread, this same day of preparation, this same day of Passover, that the Passover lamb was required to be both sacrificed and consumed. Why? Well, it's very easy to understand why. Uh, The angel of death was going to come that night and strike every firstborn Egyptian on this 14th day of the month, uh, Israel had to be prepared. They had to be prepared to quickly flee the following morn. So was the Passover to be sacrificed and consumed on Thursday or on Friday? What a mystery. What a mystery we find here. Uh, I genuinely had a struggle with this. I I did. I didn't have to struggle with accepting the integrity of Scripture. That is beyond question. Scripture has proven itself again and again, time after time. Every single time. But I did, and I do sometimes, struggle with understanding what Scripture is telling us. Uh, Which day, I asked myself, Thursday or Friday was the day of preparation. On which day, I asked myself, Thursday or Friday, did the Passover lamb have to be sacrificed? How could Jesus observe the Passover with his disciples consuming their lamb, the lamb for their family unit as it would be uh, in their house? How could he do that with his disciples on this Thursday evening and then also die for the sins of the whole world as the Passover lamb on the following day, Friday. Unfortunately, folks, and we need to remember this important lesson, you and I don't shoulder the responsibility, uh, the weight of preserving the integrity of Scripture. Um, it, It doesn't depend upon us. God has preserved the integrity of Scripture, and it remains rock solid every time. What we need to remember and to recognize is that the reliability of Scripture and, and with faith in God's Word, us having faith in God's Word, we need to achieve a reasonable and an intelligible understanding of it. You know, Christians don't check our brains at the door. We never do. Uh, but if a person 
If a person approaches Scripture with the, with the dispo, uh, disposition, with, with the intent to discredit Scripture, to discredit the Bible, uh, to disprove the Bible, as, as critics often do, the Spirit will not answer or yield, yield answers to their questions if you come to the Bible with that disposition. You will consistently try to, be, uh, to explain it away, and you will be denied the truth of God's Word. So when I, knowing this, when I first concluded, I, I don't quite get this. I don't, there's a lot of material to harmonize here between the Gospels and, and the law in the Old Testament. When I concluded, I, I don't get this yet, I immediately determined the weakness is in me. Follow me? Weakness is in me. It's not in the Word of God. So there are a few explanations. There are a few explanations to this conundrum available to us. A, a couple seem more plausible than others. One suggests that Jesus was commemorating the Passover a day early so as to introduce a new covenant, the Lord's Supper, of course, a day early before he could then die or before he would then die as Israel's Passover lamb on Friday. That is possible, but it doesn't solve the textual issues, the textual problems as to how Scripture seemingly portrays both Thursday and Friday as the day of preparation and both Thursday and Friday as the day the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Um, another explanation, which you might have read somewhere, a very common one, a good one, proposes that individual families, their family units, sacrificed their own lambs on two days, two different days. This explanation concludes that due to the massive crowds in Jerusalem, and they were massive, um, pilgrims from Galilee celebrated Passover a day early on Thursday, where Judeans, in comparison or by comparison, celebrated their Passover on Friday because of the magnitude of the people. And this is something that was adopted over time. So the two groups celebrated separately over two days. That, that may be partially true. Might be partially true. But I asked, how then could both groups keep the law? How then can a sinless Christ celebrate the Passover meal or the Passover uh, on a day early without violating the Mosaic law? That's the conundrum here. How could Christ celebrate the Passover what seems to be on a day early? I, I struggled with this question and finally ironing, ironing it out uh, until early this week. Which is the actual day of preparation? Thursday or Friday? Which is the actual day the Passover lamb is sacrificed? Thursday or Friday? And I had to disengage my Western mind. All right? It really hinders us sometimes. I had to disengage my Western mind. The answer to was the Passover Thursday or Friday is yes. All right? Let's close in, in prayer and go out and baptize, right? The answer is yes. It is yes. Um, verse 7 says this. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
this day on our Gregorian calendar, all right, the calendar we use, the modern calendar, is obviously Thursday. Jesus then sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. And they would surely eat together uh, their lamb that they selected by their household. It will be offered on late Thursday evening. And then Jesus would die the very next day when the Paschal lamb is sacrificed at the temple. Uh, This could all preserve harmony with the law because Judea, Israel, counted days not from midnight to midnight, as we do today, but from sunset to sunset. You follow me? This first day of unleavened bread that we see as Thursday, this day of preparation for the Exodus, and the same day the Passover needed to be sacrificed, began at sunset on Thursday. And then it continued until sunset on Friday. All right. My lapse of understanding was that Thursday was an alternative day of preparation. It was not. It was not. Um, the traditional observance of the Passover, uh, most in Judea observed it later on Friday, later on this 14th day of the month. But once the sun went down on Thursday evening, Jesus and his disciples entered the 14th day of the month, and could preserve the law by sacrificing their Passover lamb then. Jesus and his disciples would celebrate it after sunset, early early on that day. He would then later be arrested in the middle of the night, midday. Jesus would be arrested, and then he would die as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Friday afternoon, about two, about two, and it all occurred on the very same day, very same day. Um, This would explain why John 19 verse 31 indicates that Jesus needed to quickly be taken down from the cross on the first day, Friday, first day of that we're referencing here. Therefore, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, we know, uh, hurriedly buried Jesus before sunset in preparation for the Sabbath, which ran from sunset Friday until sunset Saturday. You follow me? That is the second day. Then, sunset on Saturday marked the beginning of the third day, which, of course, assures us that on that third day, on that Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. Only about a week earlier, when approaching the town of Jericho, we already saw back in Luke chapter 18, verse 31, Jesus took the twelve aside and and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and mistreated, and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Uh, Death, burial, 
and resurrection just as Christ and Scripture proclaim. I, I don't know about you, that, that timeline satisfies me. That satisfies me, uh, explains why Jesus sent Peter and John out to make these preparations for the Passover meal. Sometime on this Thursday, he dispatched them then to make these preparations. So in verse 9, they said to Jesus, Where do you want us to prepare it? Now it's important to recognize here that none of the disciples... Not one of them, including Judas Iscariot, the traitor, not one of them were to know where the Last Supper would be held. Uh, therefore, Jesus then on this day designated only Peter and John to go ahead to take their lamb to the temple to, to be slaughtered uh, and then roasted uh, and, and then all other arrangements that needed to be made for the Passover meal were all going to be done beforehand. So when Jesus and the other disciples come later, Jesus would show them where it was. Uh, Peter and John would already have everything sitting there prepared and waiting for them to celebrate the meal. Um, Jesus knew that Judas was the traitor. He knew that authorities were seeking to kill him and arrest him and kill him. Thus, Jesus would not permit himself to be arrested before he ate the Passover with his disciples one last time time. So, so nobody in the group, nobody in the group except Jesus knew the location of where this Passover would be eaten. According to the law, you go back to Leviticus, the Passover had to be eaten within the city limits. It had to be in Jerusalem, within the city, it had to be consumed within the city of Jerusalem. But the reason for all the secrecy the reason everything was kept secret was because Jesus knew that Judas was already seeking an opportunity to betray him. Matthew twenty six sixteen said, From the day that Judas received those 30 pieces of silver, whatever day that was, we looked at it last week, sometime between Saturday and Wednesday night, whatever day it was, it says, From then on, Judas began searching for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Jesus knew this. He knew this. Loose lips sink ships, right? Jesus kept the location to himself. The secrecy about how to find the location of the house was to ensure a proper delay to Jesus' arrest until after he had finished the supper with the disciples. Yet at the perfect time, in the perfect timing, Jesus dipped that morsel in the cup and gave it to Judas... And said, what you must do, do it quickly. Alright? The time has come at that point. That's John 13, verse 27. And it was then Jesus. It was at that time that Jesus finished the Passover with the remaining disciples and inaugurated uh, what we now refer to commonly as communion. Or what we share in, in common, the Lord's Supper. But no one in the group was going to know beforehand. Nobody. Uh, this is why. In verse 10, Jesus gives covert instructions only to Peter and John, saying, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. 
And they left, meaning Peter and John, they left and found everything just as Jesus had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. That's how it went down. That's how it went down. When did Jesus coordinate the guy with the pitcher of water and the owner of the large furnished upper room? I have absolutely no idea. Nor does Scripture imply that I have to figure that out somehow. It is not... Uh, is not essential to worry about. I imagine, because the Passover needed to be celebrated within the city limits, there were residents of Jerusalem who each, each feast, every Passover, people who owned facilities, had homes with large rooms that each year they loaned out or they rented out to people who were coming in from the surrounding communities, pilgrims arriving from out of town. Uh, This house could have belonged to someone who Jesus knew previously. It it could have been a home where Jesus himself and his mother and father, where they celebrated the Passover back when Jesus was young. It might have been location that he was familiar with. He might have known the people personally. I have no idea. I have no idea, nor do I care. There could be a miraculous element to it as well. Uh, Either way, it's not important what is important is that we know although certain parts of Scripture are difficult to understand for us at times, uh, everything occurred in Scripture just as Jesus and Scripture said that it did or say that it did. So Thursday then starts this, this day of preparation. There will soon be a death of a lamb. There will be a burial of him. And there will be on the third day a resurrection from the dead. Uh, his resurrection. Uh, though we may not understand everything that Scripture says the first time we read it, Christians embrace everything in the Word of God by faith. And eventually, in God's timing, we figure it out, all right? We figure it out. I'm going to ask those who are, have, have requested to be baptized to now excuse themselves. You can go and prepare uh, yourselves as well. The rest of us are going to take just a few minutes here to give you a moment to change. And uh, we will all meet at the baptismal on the back of the property here. If you're, if you're a new visitor, uh, first time uh, you've seen a baptism here, it's easiest to exit on the west side of the building and then follow over to the baptismal in the back. Um, if you're watching online, this is important as well, we will need, need to momentarily stop streaming to get a different internet link out there from inside, Uh, but in about five to seven minutes, in a few minutes, uh, watch our Facebook page. It will supply a new link so that you can watch the baptisms outside. Watch for that. Um, Today we have four people, four that want to publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ through water baptism. In the closing words of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gave this, this great commission that he set forth to his church saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, this great commission is clearly describing water baptism of those who are already Jesus' disciples, all right? Jesus' disciples, they are learners. They are followers who have committed themselves to Christ. 
this rite of water baptism. It's sacred. It is holy. That, that, that term holy means set apart to God, uh, like the Lord's Supper called communion, often called communion, which, which we've been studying some on Wednesday night. We will look at that more closely next week. Uh, these two sacred ordinances, water baptism and communion, are not for unbelievers, but are set apart as holy for believers who have rightly examined themselves, rightly examined themselves, and who have committed themselves as disciples to Jesus Christ. Um, there are also references in the Bible we should know uh, to spiritual baptism or, or an immersion into Christ's church caused by a sovereign regenerating work in the heart of God by the Holy Spirit. That, that is far beyond man's control. We have no access to making that baptism happen. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. And there are clear distinctions in Scripture between a humanly performed water baptism and a divine-ordained spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit. Um, It is important to note, before Jesus died on the cross, previous to uh, that event, John the Baptist offered a baptism of repentance in water. Uh, Israelites would come to John. They would declare uh, that they are repenting. They have sinned against God, acknowledging before Him that they have fallen short, that they needed to be cleansed. That is John's baptism. Yet even then, in Mark chapter 1, verse 7, John was preaching and saying, After me, one, who is, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. John says, I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So a clear distinction here between what is done by man and what is done by God. John's baptism was in effect uh, only before Christ died, only before uh, the church was was born on the day of Pentecost, before it was established. Scripture is very clear today, very clear. The spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit comes first. That's what causes us to believe, a spiritual baptism. The Holy Spirit convicts the human heart of sin. That's John 16, verse 8. The Holy Spirit illuminates the preaching of the gospel message that He died for our sins and that He was buried and rose from the the dead. Uh, The Holy Spirit illuminates that message in the minds of those men and women whom God has chosen from the beginning for salvation, 2 Thessalonians 2.12. And the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts making us alive to God. Titus 3, Titus 3, uh, verse 5. This describes the Holy Spirit baptism or rebirth by the Holy Spirit. Uh, We who believe that God's sinless Son died for our sins on the cross, uh, He was buried and and on the third day rose again, uh, we have reckoned ourselves as undeserving recipients of God's forgiveness and grace. That's what is in the heart of of us who are baptized and who believe in Him. And you're going to see much of that in in the videos we're just about to play. Um, From that moment of spiritual rebirth, we are now Jesus' disciples. And one of the first acts of obedience by a committed disciple to Jesus Christ should be to publicly profess to the whole world uh, their faith in Jesus Christ by being immersed in water 
to proclaim that we have been cleansed from our sins by him. As Christ died and, and was laid in the grave, uh, he arose again. He arose again. And water baptism is an image of the death and burial and, and being cleansed from our unrighteousness and our rising again to new life to follow him. We're going to have testimony, testimonies in just a moment. Let's pray. Lord, you've shown us your mercy and uh, uh, your spirit has convicted us that uh, left to ourselves we would destruct, that we would be lost forever. Yet uh, by your spirit, uh, you, have, you have convicted us of sins, you have uh, regenerated our hearts, made us alive to God that even though we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, uh, nonetheless, you made us alive. And so now we worship in spirit and in truth. We accept everything that you teach us uh, in your word uh, as the very word of God. Father, I pray for these being baptized, these people that want to profess uh, that faith in, in, in your beloved son, that you would uh, encourage and uplift us all through this testimony and uh, that through everything that occurs uh, here and now as we, as we go out uh, to the baptismal, that it would bring glory to your son's name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.